unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And thanks for joining me once again. We are doing a second podcast this week. Typically, we're just a once a week program. But when sports news warrants, we can uh, crank out another podcast anytime we want. And that's what we choose to do here. A couple of uh, big things going on in the world of sports. One local, one national. Uh, First of all, UCF playing Temple this weekend in what is essentially a playoff game in the American East Division. The winner will get to basically go on and keep their hopes of winning the division title alive, while the loser is pretty much out of the equation. We will talk to Colin Thompson, former Temple tight end and sideline reporter for Temple Radio, about that in just a little bit. Meanwhile, we're going to talk some baseball as the Washington Nationals up two games to none on the Houston Astros. Looky here. That's uh, quite a surprise. Um, The pitching duels have been uh, well chronicled with uh, Scherzer and Cole going in game one and the Nationals finally took down Garrett Cole. Hadn't lost since like, what, six years? (laughs) It seems like it. Uh, But what, he had like 19-0 or something. Just incredible numbers. And then uh, last night, the uh, Strasburg-Verlander uh, matchup, and uh, the Nationals end up taking both on the road. So that is certainly an interesting development. So glad now to have a friend of the program, Scott Lynn from the Team 980 in Washington. Going to talk a little bit about the Nationals take, going up two games to none in the World Series. Scott, thanks for taking time. Jeff, it is always a pleasure. Hope you are doing well. And it's uh, the, the chill is in the air, but there's so much excitement here because these guys are just incredibly likable. And to you know, to sit here and talk to you ahead of a, a two nothing surprising edge ahead of Game Three, it's it's it's, it's unbelievable. Yes. Tell me about that buzz, because this is like the first World Series in D.C. since long before you and I were born. <laughs> so talk about the excitement there. The, the buzz is crazy cool. I was lucky enough. We, we've been doing on the local stations, uh, Zabe and I, we've been doing a lot of remotes in and around the ballpark area throughout the playoffs. And I've been lucky enough to stay for a bunch of the games. I saw uh, the Sunday night crushing by the Dodgers in which they scored all those two out runs. But then I also saw the Monday night game against the Dodgers in which Strasburg did as Strasburg has been doing, which was wonderful. And then I saw game three with Scherzer on on the mound against the mighty St. Louis Cardinals. And from the starting pitching to pick a night, pick a hero, pick a defensive play, it's, it's, it's all been just amazing. And the fans here, and you know, I mean, I, I've talked to you about this before. While I'm a Philadelphian by birth, I've been in suburban D.C. now for 33 years. So for the longest time, you know, we had the Orioles, and there was a lot of resentment, there was a lot of love, there was uh, infringement into, hey, this is our uh, market too, so we're just going to call ourselves the Orioles and not, you know, not show you that we're Baltimore. We're going to have, you know, a a DC TV outlet, which they have to this day, but uh, when the Nats came back here in 15 15 years ago in 05, people are like, oh my God, look what we got. We got this horribly mistreated 
child, you know, courtesy of, of Major League Baseball, and the, the people in Montreal were angry at us and, and all this other stuff, and you can, you know, you can read about the backstory, but they, they slowly grew it. Uh, they, they went through minor league scandal with uh, dudes that were not as old as they were purported to be. They went through some poor general managing, but now with Mike Rizzo and the learners and the stuff that came from, well, stinking, you know, you get a, a, a Steven Strasburg, you get a Bryce Harper, you get to, to reap the benefits, you get a Trey Turner, you have Rizzo go out and, and sign players and spend money on Max Scherzer, and, and just everything has come together, and, and as big of an underdog as they were to start this series, Jeff, you know, I, I'm not a betting man, but I have friends who, you know, know what I do for a living, so I would just get the sly text. Do you like the, the Nats in this series? I said, I'd bet him in game one and game two. As good as Scherzer has been and as great as Strasburg has been, why not? They, they play excellent defense. Not, you know, before uh, the, the game two, I would say not as excellent as the Astros, but the Astros playing puked on themselves in that game number two, and it was very un-Astro-like. By no means do I think this series is over, but it has been so much fun to watch them have fun. And I know I'm giving you my patented or not-so-patented long-winded answers, but just watching, you know, you watch the Little League World Series, Jeff, and you see the kids having fun, and they do it in a respectful fashion. And then you watch the Nationals in their dugout, and some may say, all right, it's corny. There's nothing corny about it. They're grown men playing a kid's game, and whether you see group hugs of Steven Strasburg, or you see the dance lines in the dugouts or stuff like that, it's a blast to watch, man. It really is. And Scott, I know you're rushing to another engagement. So uh, one last quick question. You know, when we spoke on Memorial Day, the Nats were at their lowest point. Uh, lots of folks were calling for Davey Martinez to be fired. So maybe the move that Mike Rizzo didn't make was the biggest move of all, right? Yeah, no kidding. And I was among the local press who said, you know what, uh, Davey doesn't have it. And they are just a mess. But his faith in the guys and his his calmness. I mean, you know, you've seen the great plays that Anthony Rendon makes. And, and I talked about this with Zabe on the air. When we were little uh, and, and took our, you know, second and third grade pictures, you had people who woke up on picture day and they were amped about it for whatever reason. By the way, that was not me. I don't know if it was you. And, <laughs> and you know, your mom or your dad or your grandmother or whoever raised you was like, I've got this special outfit and it's picture day and go with pride and, and go with happiness. For me, I was the kid that rolled out of bed. Anthony Rendon is the same kid who rolls out of bed in sweatpants for picture day and he makes incredible defensive plays, rises to the occasion for most of his big at-bats. He's, he's a blast to watch. You got Soto who, you know, it's, it's already been talked about tons. He turns 21 on Friday of this week and he plays like a 27 or 28 year old. You've got Robles, the defensive stud in the outfield. You've got solid hitting Adam Eaton who, you know, I just wish they would stop bunting so often though. A lot of people seem to love that sort of thing. You've got, as I mentioned, Rendon. You've got Turner. Uh, Howie Kendrick is a professional hitter. Mm -hmm. Granted, he's gotten up in years and you don't want him there for his glove. But how about Ryan Zimmerman, a guy who is, I don't want to say left for dead. He is beloved by the organization, taken out of Virginia, and has suffered through the truly awful times. But there's just so many likable stories. Kurt Suzuki, 
I mean, you know, I was joking with Bob Carpenter, the uh, Masson voice, the TV voice of the Washington Nationals. I said, that guy's up for the Vesna Trophy for hockey's best goalie because he's doing, he's doing yeoman's work behind the plate there, Jeff, in blocking. You had Sean Doolittle who went away for a little while and, and had to find himself after he had some, some injured list time. But he's come back with a vengeance. It's weird. When I talked to you on Memorial Day, the bullpen was god-awful. And there are still some god-awful portions of it. But if the starters do their jobs, and they have been able to pitch incredibly well, if they do their jobs, and they have been, and you just need a Hudson or a Doolittle or a little bit of Tanner Rainey mixed in, those three guys can and have carried this team a long, long way so far, sir. Well, I tell you what, you know, as a Braves fan, I thought I would hate the Nationals being in the World Series, but I'm not hating it. It's it's actually been quite entertaining and kind of fun to go along for the ride. No, I, I agree and I understand. I mean, you know, again, I'm, I'm sort of a, I'm a neutral observer, but when you get wrapped up in the World Series fever, I'm certainly not going to root for the home team to lose. Plus, like I said, they're super likable. I'm, I'm neutral on Bryce Harper. Um, his absence from the team has evoked a lot of interesting sentiment from so many of the fans with, hey, what do you think Bryce is doing now? And obviously, you know, he did what he did. But he's in Philadelphia, and that's all good and well. The Nationals offered that they made him at the time that they made it was super backloaded. And while it was a respectable offer, it wasn't an otherworldly, hey, we love you, you need to stay here type of offer. It was kind of, here's what we got. If you get something better, go do something better. He's gone. I feel that too many of the local fans have gotten so wrapped up in this Bryce angle. It's, it's almost detracting from... Just, just love what you have and stop trying to rub it in the face of a guy who basically made a business decision. And he may experience his success, Jeff, somewhere down the line. The Phillies were flawed. They had a boatload of injury. There was you know, a, a whole bunch of stuff going on with the now-fired manager and, and decisions that he was making. And my friends would text me and I would see on their social media outlets, pages, Twitters, whatever, Twitter, Twitter feeds. They were killing Kapler. But you know, Bryce is there now, and he's there for another 12 years. So it's kind of like, let it go, Elsa, to the frozen <laughs> reference for the night. You know, and, and let him be happy with his cash. If the Phillies do something good in, in two or three years or next year with Girardi and some health, so be it. But right now, this is such a, a fun place to be in because of all the baseball greatness that has gone on through these first two games. Alrighty, Scott. Well, I know you're rushed pressed for time. I do appreciate you taking a few minutes. Uh, Scott Lynn from the Team 980 in Washington. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, sir. Don't hesitate to call again. And again, Scott Lynn, you can follow him on Twitter at ScottLynn980. Does the afternoon show with uh, Steve Zabin on the Team 980. And uh, also has a podcast, the Lynn Murray Solly Podcast, which is available on Patreon. Scott, of course, uh, did morning radio with uh, uh, Steve Solomon, Tim Murray, Steve Zabin for many, many years on the national scene, uh, as well as doing afternoon drive in Washington, D.C. And always a pleasure to speak to Scott. Now let's switch gears and talk a little college football. I am happy to welcome Colin Thompson, former Temple tight end and sideline reporter for Temple Radio, to the program today to talk about UCF and Temple. Colin, thank you for being here. Oh, Jeff, thanks for having me on. 
First, before we talk about this week's game, I want to rewind back and the tough loss to SMU. I guess many were surprised to the deficit to which they lost to the Mustangs by. Yeah, it was tough. I was doing the radio down there, and as a former player, uh, I still have the same passion uh, as the Temple Al, uh, and it was not a clean Temple game that you would expect of physicality and good special teams uh, and running the football and play action pass and forced fumbles and sacks. There was none of it. Uh, there was a lot of SMU and a little bit of Temple. Yeah. Uh, it, was a, it was a hot day down there. Uh, obviously, a long travel for Temple. You're, you're playing a team out of the West uh, that's undefeated, and you run into an offense that's one of the top in the in all of college football, which is crazy to say. We didn't expect that. We were maybe UCF at the beginning of the year, which even though UCF still is, but SMU has come, has come out of nowhere in the Western Division of the AAC, and Bouchelle and a host of receivers, you know, ripped it, ripped Temple for for six touchdown passes uh, for Bouchelle, the former Texas transfer, and. And just not a clean day. Temple beat themselves opening drive, multiple drops that were probably touchdowns on 40-plus yard throws. Um, check my stats here. Anthony Russo last week, the quarterback for Temple, went 18 for 32 for 171 in a TD. Anthony probably should have had another six completions and another 150 yards receiving. That's how wide open these guys were when these drops happened. So not a clean game. But, hey, if you're Temple – you have to be optimistic knowing that they're on the West. We still control our own destiny in the East, starting with uh, the third consecutive potent passing attack that they've faced in three weeks in UCF. Yeah, and of course, this basically is the playoff start now in the Eastern Division because uh, the loser of this game, in effect, is going to have a long, tough road and need Miracle to, to, to go for the championship game. Yeah, no question. No question. I was there. Uh, my senior year, we went down to UCF, and I'm sure you're familiar with, we won on the last play of the game. We just lost to Memphis. Anthony Miller took multiple kickoffs back, or I think a punt return and a kickoff back on us in Memphis, and we got smoked. We lost our starting kicker, who was all-conference for us the year before. We had injuries. We had issues. And we go down to UCF, a place that Temple doesn't win much. Down in Florida, they struggle. we've struggled at USF and at UCF, and pulled a game out, went on a crazy one run, controlled our own destiny, and ended up winning the conference championship against Navy that year uh, in 2016. So, yeah, they control their own destiny. The American Conference is probably the best it's ever been, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the run out of any team who makes that run. So tell me a little bit about Rod Carey and what he has uh, done this year. You know, he took over the program that Jeff Collins had uh, had, had built up, uh, and he has really just kind of seamlessly walked right in and got them playing at a, at a high level. Yeah, this isn't a this isn't a a, a, a slight of Coach Carey at all. He and he's been outwardly talked about this, but he adopted a great roster. That the crazy turnover that's happened at Temple that everyone kind of knows about uh, over the years. Matt Rule, half the team's Matt Rule, half the team's Jeff Collins, and then believe it or not, a little bit of the team is Manny Diaz, who for two weeks was at Temple after stepping down as a defensive coordinator in Miami, becoming a Temple head coach. Uh, signs a group of players of 20 plus I was there doing the signing day radio preview or whatever we were doing some TV preview and uh, he leaves after two weeks and takes the head job after Mark Rick stepped down obviously a well uh, spoken situation with the national media and obviously in the American conference so Rod Carey steps into a tough situation and really 
molded this team of a bunch of great players into one. Uh, I think the team loves each other, loves playing for coach, and they're a meat and potatoes out outfit uh, from NIU. He always says we have to be good up the middle, defensive tackle, linebacker, center, quarterback, running back. He's a meat and potatoes type guy. He wants to run the football. Uh, and he's they've, they've established their identity. Um, and I like Coach Carey. He's another great coach that Pat Kraft hired, the athletic director at Temple. And hopefully he stays around for a while because they usually get jobs here in about a year or two after they do well. Yeah, you guys have definitely been hurt by uh, getting getting poached by the P five. That's for that's for sure. Uh, talk about the two quarterback system a little bit. Russo's the starter, but uh, uh, Todd Santeo is getting some playing time as well, kind of as the running quarterback. Um, and it looks like these guys have bought into that. Yeah, they have. And I'm close with uh, the Russo family. Anthony Russo and I went to Archbishop Wood High School together, right outside of Philadelphia. We're four years apart, but I know Anthony's family well, and just. The buzz around the program is, is there a controversy? And I'm telling them and multiple people, like, there's no but, there's no controversy. Anthony's the quarterback and the quarterback of the future. He's got another year for this one at Temple. Uh, but it's a good mix-up. And I like what they do with Todd. Uh, Todd is 14 for 17 passing on the year for 208 and one TD. That's pretty efficient. Mm-hmm. Running the ball, he got 24 rushes, 55 yards. But when he's in there, he's just keeping him honest. They run a lot of jet sweep action. They run some counter plays with him. They're not trick plays per se, but I think it gives defenses another thing to prepare for, and that's something that UCF, with their team speed defensively, they've always had it. We'll struggle with, I think, in some capacity because it's a major changeup. Anthony's 6'4", 240. Uh, he actually had his best rushing game ever against UCF last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he ran for almost 60... Yeah, so Anthony last year ran for 68 yards. He was sacked three times, though. Um, and he ran for a touchdown. He threw for 444, which is a career high for him down in Florida. So he had his best game ever against UCF, and uh, hopefully he can produce the same because his Temple offense is, is taking a step backwards for sure in the, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it was a wild 52-40 uh, game last year that the Knights won. Um, so what impresses you when you look at uh, when you look at the as UCF as the opposition? What impresses you about the Knights? Well, I got a little intel today, I'll be honest, from uh, Timber Creek football coaches, a buddy of mine, uh, Connor Buckridge and his father. Uh, they are coaches down there. And I reached out to them and I said, hey, listen, I'm going on great radio show today with Jeff. Any insight of what do you think's going on down there? You know, give me a little insight. And they said this, Dylan Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's pretty good. Yes. Uh, true, true freshman, over 2,000 yards in the year, 17 TDs. Um, and I've heard on multiple UCF radios and, you know, I'm just doing a little research for the show and then doing some research for the game. Like he's being compared to Bortles and Milton with his numbers and his, he's already passed them numbers wise. Uh, and then Gabriel Davis, the receiver. That was the other thing. Yeah. Obviously last four games, hundred plus yards receiving. So I do know this from what I've seen of the UCF team. I've watched this year. I don't see the same spark as I've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the losses hurt them. I'm not saying they're a front-running outfit, but when you're used to winning at the clip they've been winning at, it, it's hard to lose. You have to learn how to lose. Uh, and that's something that a lot of Temple players, when I played, we knew how to do. I don't know if this Temple group now knows how to lose. Maybe the UCF group doesn't know how to lose either because they both both uh, programs have won so much lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so... 
regardless, uh, I know UCF has got a ton of team speed. With McCray being out, that's going to hurt them. Um, but they have – is Anderson back this week? Uh, Anderson's in, uh, and, and it looks like Killens will also be back. And uh, and then they have Batavius Thompson in the backfield as yeah. well. Yeah, Thompson had a nice game last week, 51 yards rushing into TD. So, and then Otis had 18 for 80. So, they have always have the backs. UCF, A, over the years, you know, high-tempo offense. The high-tempo offenses don't work because of the passing game. They work because of the running game. Mm-hmm. I remember calling the game last year on the sideline, and I'm watching McCray and Milton, and I'm, it's like a track meet. It's like a competition to see if we can get the snap off quicker than the last snap. I mean, eight eight to ten seconds. Uh, and if you can get three, four yards of pop, it's like the Navy mentality, but it's a lot faster. Um, or the Army mentality or the triple option mentality where we're going to wear and tear you and get three, four yards of carry. And that's what UCF does. And they'll flip it out with a little bubble screen or they'll throw it over the top to Davis and all of a sudden it's six and then you're down 14 nothing, and you, you haven't even blinked. So team speed and then – you know, Gabriel Davis and, and Dylan Gabriel and a host of running backs. Uh, that's what I think of when I think of UCF. Well, interestingly enough, the weather is supposed to be in the 40s, it looks like, for, for Saturday. And with UCF traveling up there, I want to ask you as a former player, does colder weather really affect warm climate teams? You spent time at the University of Florida with the Gators for transferring back uh, to Philadelphia to be a Temple. Is, is, is the warm climate teams and cold weather really a thing or is that overblown? Well, I think it's overblown a little bit because, like, once they snap the ball, you're not thinking about the weather. I mean, I can understand if it's raining and cold. I think that changes everybody's dynamic. Nobody likes playing in rain and cold. Um, but I think it's a little overblown. Actually, the weather looks pretty good now. I just looked at it again after hearing, like, a lot of buzz at UCF. I'm up here now. I live up here. And everyone's like, it's going to be cold this weekend. I looked. It's going to be, like, mid-60s during the day. So maybe at night it's going to be a little cooler. But if it's not windy – and it's not rainy, uh, it, everyone's on the same playing field. I think it's a little overblown. UCS won a lot of football games the last couple of years in in the American. They played at UConn. They've played at Navy. Um, who are, I'm trying to think of the rest of the teams in the Northeast. There isn't too, too many. It's more Southern Conference. But, hey, if you played ECU late in the year, you're going to play in the 50s and the 40s. So, no, I, I don't think the weather – I think the weather is overblown. People are dying for topics and dying for ways <laughs> to stop this UCF train, and maybe the cold will do it. I think something above the cold will have to stop UCF. All right, so uh, let's. Uh, I'll ask a question regarding both teams. Temple wins if blank happens. Oh, wow. If they, if they, if they don't beat themselves, I really firmly believe that. But they're also so thin in some positions now. Roche may be out, one of their best defensive ends. And then um, Efine Maje, who's been a guy who's just come out of the woodwork, uh, defensive tackle that's leading in sacks, just a great player. So to me, not to get off topic, I'm sorry, but it, it, it's it's not beating yourselves. UCF, I think they had eight or nine pre-snap penalties uh, that crushed them. Even they beat a UCF team that obviously UCF beat up good early, and then they came back a little bit on them. But no, Temple wins if they don't beat themselves, take care of the football. Uh, and Anthony Russo plays like he did last year against UCF, throwing for 400-plus. I think that's really the formula for, for Temple to win. And UCF wins if blank happens. It turns into a track meet. Okay. I don't think Temple can keep up uh, offensively. They have the people. Isaiah Wright, unbelievable. Jadon Blue, unbelievable. Brandon Mack, really good, tall receiver. Um, Anthony Russo, great arm, very accurate with the deep ball. Uh, and then host of running backs with Gardner and Davis. But I don't think 
they can keep up with the SMU turned into a track meet. They couldn't keep up. So UCF wins if if it's a vertical passing game. And and I mean, last week I'm telling you up in that press box, it was tough to watch. Guys were running. You know, our corners of Temple were running about 10 to 15 yards behind the SMU receivers. So, like I said, if it's going to be a vertical passing day and a great day for UCF and Dylan Gabriel and Gabriel Davis and the host of running backs there, it's going to be a long day for Temple. Well, Colin, I also know you do some Eagles coverage for uh, 97-3 in South Jersey. Uh, what did you make of their blowout loss to the Cowboys? Oof. Yeah. That hurts. I said it this week, and everyone, you know, up here, typical of a reactionary fan base. I said, God, like... You still control your own destiny. Very Temple, uh, UCF, uh, very similar. Uh, you got to win the rest of your division games and then continue to win a couple non-conference games, and all of a sudden you're you got to win your division uh, in the NFL, which really when really which, which matters. Excuse me, but it, this is the biggest game for Doug Peterson, in my opinion, other than the Super Bowls and all the playoff games. Biggest regular season game for Doug Peterson and the Eagles this year, uh, and probably in Doug's tenure with the Eagles. I think it's been three or four years now. Just because of the smoke off the field, there's all these league sources. There's people coming out of the locker room texting Josephine Anderson. They go and lose to an arch rival on the road in a really poor fashion. The city's like ready to light cars on fire. <laughs> and Doug's got to go on the road to a hostile environment, take this Eagles team, calm them down, steer the ship in the right direction, and put a promising win out there. Just get a win. Uh, or it's going to get really ugly. And people are like, that doesn't matter because it's not an NFC team. It doesn't matter. They need to just right the ship uh, and get, get the Eagles team that really is a Super Bowl contender with the roster, and they've proven it before, but just hasn't been clean this year. And, of course, uh, I guess congratulations are in order. You were uh, drafted by the Tampa Bay Vipers in the XFL. You've spent some time in the NFL with the, the Giants and the Bears and uh, also with Birmingham in the, in the uh, AAF. So uh, congrats on uh, getting drafted by Tampa Bay. I guess you're looking forward to getting back out on the field, huh? I am, Jeff. I'm, I am looking forward. I'm excited to be back in Florida. Obviously, as a former Gator, uh, like I said, I have some friends, the Buckridge family there at, 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 at uh, Temper Creek there in Orlando. And uh, I just have a ton of friends and family in Florida, which I'm excited about. And then secondly, or really, that's second. But first, I'm looking forward to getting back playing. I'm still training full time to give in the NFL, chase my dream and passion uh, of playing in football professionally, especially in the NFL. But if it has to go through the XFL, I'm down to do it. Played in the AAF, had a blast, and looking forward to trying another experience in Tampa with the Vipers and that organization uh, with the XFL. And when uh, the when the AF folded and and you were in Birmingham, did you guys have any of those horror stories that a lot of teams had when when the league just kind of went up and went kaput? Well, actually, it's kind of funny. I broke the, I broke it to the team that the league folded. Uh, I'm a player. I'm a tight end on the roster. And actually, I was up in uh, my girlfriend uh, Sydney, who played the cross in Florida with me, uh, played the cross when we were in Florida together. She has a family as a uh, a vacation condo right outside of Destin and it's four hours from Birmingham so sometimes on an off day if we had the schedule was right I had like 48 hours I would go down there and get away for a little bit and four hours was nothing so I drove down it was Monday morning we had a game like Sunday afternoon I got down there stayed the night whatever I wake up the next day I'm having coffee on the deck Un- you know unwinding before I got to drive back to Birmingham and I refresh my Twitter and Darren Rovell says the AF is folded so I call the punter Colton Smith, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, I'm in the gym. What are you doing? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, the league is folded, and he puts his phone down and says, guys, the league folded. Let's get out of here. <laughs> so, 
I broke the news, I guess, to the guys in the the weight room, uh, the guys in the locker room from, you know, four-hour drive away outside of Destin. And, yeah, long story short, um, no, I, no horror stories per se. Sorry, but that's a little story inside the story for me. So I got in a car. I got my rental car the day earlier. It cost me a little bit of money. Crazy. And I drove up to Birmingham. I missed the team meeting, which I would say half the team did because uh, guys traveled on the day off because everyone lived pretty local there. And they had, like, some hugs and, you know, a little kumbaya, and that was it. I went in the next day, cleaned my locker, uh, we went out, the whole staff and the players went out that night and had a nice time together and got, got a bite to eat. And then, yeah, it just hits you like a ton of bricks. No, but like a lot of teams ha- had their like rooms or clean for them and put into the lobby. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have that. We, we had our place for another 24 hours. I was taken care of, I guess, and paid in advance. Uh, but no, I, my buddy was in Memphis. He had the horror stories. A couple people in San Diego had some horror stories. But we were good in Birmingham. I was very fortunate to be a part of it. People I met actually in Birmingham has led me to probably get drafted in Tampa. So it's been a blessing, and I'm excited to continue to play. Well, we certainly wish you the best of luck with the Vipers, and uh, so we'll get to cheer you on in this area of the state. And uh, and uh, again, thanks for talking, uh, taking time to join us and talk about the Temple UCF game. And uh, hope you have a great broadcast. Hey Jeff, thanks man. Have a good one. All right, you too. And we'll certainly root for Colin when he plays for the Vipers over in Tampa Bay. And boy, you gotta love guys that are still chasing that dream of playing in the National Football League. You know, you look at what uh, you know Gary Gilbert did with the Orlando Apollos. Uh, you know, it got him onto the Cleveland Browns as the backup quarterback. So it's a uh, path is still there with the XFL coming into play next season. And uh, wish Colin the best on that. And uh, UCF Temple, big game on Saturday night up in the city of brotherly love. It's, uh, like we mentioned earlier, pretty much a playoff game. Loser is going to have a hard track, is pretty much out of the picture of uh, the division championship. So uh, it's, a, it's a, a lot on the line this coming week. So we'll see how uh, how it all plays out. By the way, good opportunity for me to plug my my guys at the Nightline Sports Network, who uh, I have the privilege of doing the AAC report for on a weekly basis. Uh, the guys, uh, Trace and Andrew, will host Nightline Sunday night, and uh, they will uh, break the whole thing down for you as far as that goes. As a matter of fact, Andrew does the uh, Sunday morning Nightline the morning after on ESPN 580 Orlando. So you can also uh, get some post-game conversation on that as well. So uh, make sure you check that out. And uh, other shows on the Nightline uh, Sports Network besides uh, Nightline are my AAC report and uh, the Sons of UCF with uh, Mike and Adam. They uh, do a great job as well. So uh, enjoy the football this weekend. Enjoy the continuation of the World Series as well. Thanks again to Scott Lynn from the Team 980 for joining us on the program. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs.
Kramer Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog end the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at KramerSalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.